Namaste, weirdos. It is I, Coach Duke Lowry. Welcome back to the Old Normal Podcast. Uh, what you're going to hear today is going to be a little bit different. It's a podcast that I pre-recorded. Um, I, over the span of the next couple of weeks, I'm in the process of moving from my uh, beloved hometown of Memphis, Tennessee, up to the big bachelorette party in the sky of uh, Nashville. And so uh, while I'm doing that, I'm I'm still in the process of getting a little podcast studio set up up there. So in the meantime, uh, I'm going to be running through my four-part series on January 6th uh, that that came out through my Wednesday weekly column. You can find that on my website, coachduke.com. Because like I've alluded to in some of the earlier podcasts, what is going to happen after January 6th, uh, or our response to January 6th, in, in culmination with so many other geopolitical things, is going to have a larger impact on many of our lives than uh, COVID did in the COVID lockdown. So it's going to be sort of a monologue style. Uh, I hope you like it, and uh, we'll be back together again next week. Live from Memphis, Tennessee, it's Coach Duke Lowry. Dropping back the throttle and a turn on a dime. Cause strangers back behind me want me dead or alive. I can tell you he's seen sleeping some days. One year later, it is essential that we do not allow anyone to rewrite history or whitewash the gravity of what took place. It is our duty to find the facts of January 6th to ensure that such an assault on our democracy cannot happen again. And it is also our duty to establish and preserve the narrative of that day. And that is what we are doing today. All right, there you have it. That was what appears to be a wax figure of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, underlining what her purpose of the January 6th investigation is. She emphasizes that it is our duty to establish and preserve the narrative of that day, and that is what we are doing. You know, uh, earlier last month uh, marked the first anniversary of the January 6th Capitol riots, and for the first time in a year, the media took a breath from the nonstop COVID fear porn to highlight their second favorite talking point of 2021. And that is the unequivocal fact that America's democracy is under attack from right-wing forces trying to actively overthrow the U.S. government. But is this true, and does anyone really believe it? Well, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris apparently does. Listen. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001. And January 6th, 2021. And of course, not to be outdone by the... um 
the wax figure of Kamala Harris. Former Vice President Joe Biden said this. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. So there you have it. The worst attack, the worst test of of American democracy since the Confederate Army took up arms in an act of treason against their fellow countrymen. So according to the two most powerful people in the world, what we witnessed on January 6th was on par with or worse than Pearl Harbor, 9-11, the assassinations of John and Robert Kennedy, the assassination of Dr. King, the actual shooting of Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, or the actual shooting of the GOP congressional baseball practice, which left Representative Steve uh, Scalise hospitalized. What about the assassination of President Lincoln or the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan? Those both happened after the Civil War. No, no, no. According to the meat puppets at CNN, January 6th, when a man dressed as a blue-faced bison walked into the Senate chamber and said, quote, good to see everybody. Now that is a serious attack on your democracy. Now, of course, this is ridiculous. The January 6th riots were a lot of things, a lot of bad things, but they were far, far from the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. To put this in perspective, 620,000 Americans died in the Civil War. More than 2,300 died at Pearl Harbor, and almost 3,000 were killed on 9-11. 168 were murdered during the Oklahoma City bombing. 60 were killed in the 2017 Las Vegas shooting, which we strangely don't hear much about. And 13 died at Columbine High School. And the January 6th death toll? Depending on who you talk to, between 1 and 6. One rioter-slash-Trump supporter named Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by Capitol Police and died that day, and five Capitol Police officers who died in the days and weeks uh, following the event. One of these officers died of a stroke, which his family claims was due to emotional stress from the riots, and the other four from suicides in the weeks and months following. All of these are senseless and tragic, but even taking the high number of six deaths January 6th still isn't in the same league as the Civil War or Pearl Harbor. It's not even close. Yet the most dangerous and uh, perverse messaging to emerge in the wake of the riots is this dogmatic belief by the left that an actual insurrection took place that day, or worse, that those who, who breached the Capitol were, quote, terrorists. If the Capitol riot really was an insurrection, if the rioters really wanted to overthrow the U.S. government, their efforts amount to the most poorly planned, least effective insurrection in modern history. As far as we're aware, and trust me, the news would be all over it if the evidence existed, none of the protesters inside the Capitol on January 6th were armed with more than a can of mace or a plastic spear. How do you overthrow a government as powerful as ours without so much as a 22 caliber pistol? But all that aside, even if these fools were to gain control of the Capitol and declare themselves the new and rightful government of the United States, it would take U.S. Special Forces, the National Guard, or hell, even the D.C. Police Department about a half hour to scatter them like roaches. So don't tell me they nearly seized the reins of government that day or that our democracy was uh, in jeopardy of being overrun. Now, beyond this, we also have to consider that Capitol Police are on video that day literally opening the barricades for the protesters to enter the building. Then there are the countless videos of the crazed, quote, insurrectionists 
calmly walking through the velvet ropes of the statuary snapping selfies. It was a good day for Snapchat. They didn't smash any of the statues or tear up the Senate chamber. None of that ever happened. In fact, the only video of actual violence shows a bunch of people in black stormtrooper outfits ramming a door with a barricade and a few others breaking windows. Fortunately, most of those people have been arrested and are being prosecuted. But isn't it curious that nearly all these folks were dressed in all black? In fact, they were the only group not wearing American flags and MAGA hats that day. This is strange. What about the videos of so-called counter-protesters in similar black outfits changing into MAGA gear under a tree outside the Capitol? Then there's likely FBI asset Ray Epps, a man on video both the day before and the day of the Capitol riots, openly urging the crowd to, quote, go into the Capitol. Listen. I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to go, I'll say it. All right. We need to go in to the Capitol. All right. And, uh, you know, in this age of fighting misinformation, that is the only clip I could actually find on YouTube. But there's several other uh, clips out there on other media platforms that aren't as censored. Now, Epps appeared... On, originally on the FBI's uh, top 10 most wanted list for January 6th. But later his name was mysteriously dropped. This is despite the fact that he is the only person actually on video inciting people to breach the Capitol. And yet the FBI hasn't arrested him. Why is that? Journalists know where he is. Multiple online news outlets and independent reporters have actually filmed him living comfortably on the, uh, in the past year on his ranch out in Arizona. You know, there's another clip uh, which has been scrubbed from, from YouTube uh, that shows protesters standing around him chanting as he continues, he says it over and over, we need to go into the Capitol, go into the Capitol. Perhaps the chants of the protesters that night were correct. As Epps urged them to go into the uh, uh, Capitol building, the crowd began labeling him what he probably was. Fed, 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 they chanted. It's a strange video, and he's a strange man. If you think it's not possible that elements within our own government would incite people to swarm the Capitol, remember that 12, quote, members of the militia group that supposedly planned to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer were found to be either direct employees of the FBI or informants, which is like two-thirds of the entire group. Then there's the fact that until last month, not a single person arrested for January 6 had been charged with, quote, insurrection. In fact, the only charges that have really been thrown out there are things like obstruction of Congress, trespassing, and unlawful parading. Yes, parading. Bring on the marching bands and ticker tape. This begs the question, if what happened on January 6 doesn't even meet the legal definition of an insurrection, which is a federal crime, why does CNN, Nancy Pelosi, and Liz Cheney keep using the term? Well, the answer is obvious. It's political. That's not an excuse for what the writers did that day. It was, to borrow a phrase from Hillary Clinton, deplorable. But it was not an insurrection, and the government's own prosecutors are tacitly admitting it. Now, early on uh, last month in January, the Justice Department uh, finally officially indicted 11 people with uh, charges of, quote, seditious conspiracy. The charges read like a Tom Clancy novel uh, about gunboats across the Potomac. and it, Only time will tell if any of this was actually true. 
though I suspect many, uh, if not all, of these charges will eventually be dropped due to lack of evidence. If these charges are true, the men and women involved should spend the rest of their lives in prison. If not, the people who are making these false accusations should be made to do the same. Now, as awful as what happened on January 6th was, and it was awful for many reasons, the most dangerous talking point that's emerged is that those in the Capitol that day were, quote, terrorists. Now, in post-patriotic America, there is no label more damning. And yet that's precisely the word the Capitol Police repeated over and over in their congressional testimony. The president and many in the media continue to use it to this day. But even in the wake of these new sedition charges, not a single person connected with with the January 6th riots has yet to be charged with terrorism. So why is this so dangerous? Because in the aftermath of 9-11, a, quote, terrorist is a person who can be denied due process under the law. Terrorists go to Guantanamo Bay where they're tortured. This is precisely what the left told us would happen after the Patriot Act passed uh, in 2001. They were right, and I stood with them at the time, because truth is truth no matter which side tells it. And yet now many on the left, particularly in the media, are openly advocating for denying folks like the bison-horned QAnon shaman due process. Though inexcusable, what happened on January 6th was not an act of terrorism. And so now the left, which so rightly felt threatened by the Patriot Act, must reclaim their skepticism and objectivity. Otherwise, under a Republican administration, this very same terminology could be extended to groups like Black Lives Matter, for example. And by the way, contrary to the claims of many GOP lawmakers, what we saw in the aftermath of George Floyd's death wasn't terrorism either. They too were riots, many of which were far more deadly and destructive than what happened on January 6th. Like it or not, these are all Americans. They have constitutional rights. We must appreciate and defend this fact no matter how stupid their actions. Because history proves that a term like terrorist could one day be levied against anyone who doesn't blindly follow state orthodoxy. So is our democracy actually under attack? Are things really as bad as CNN says they are? Well, keep in mind, we don't live in a democracy. We never have. The United States is a republic. We should be grateful for this. Democracies are terrible forms of government. As someone once said, a democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. Yes, we elect our representatives uh, through democratic means. But in a true democracy, every American would vote on every piece of legislation. That may sound fair and equitable, but consider the consequences. For one, republics are far better at respecting the rights of minorities than our direct uh, democracies. Our constitutional framers understood that those living in highly populated urban centers didn't have the knowledge or experience to regulate and legislate people in lower populated rural areas. A city merchant in Philadelphia, for example, doesn't have the same needs as a farmer on the frontier and vice versa. This is why we have a population-based House of Representatives and a statehood-based Senate. Why sparsely populated Wyoming, for example, has two senators but only one congressman. The entire system was deliberately set up with checks and balances so that it would move slowly. Why? Because the Founding Fathers didn't want us captive to the fickle political whims of each passing generation. Rashly made decisions leave much ruin and regret in their wake. This is why states' rights are so important, and also why ours is the longest surviving constitution in world history. Like it or not, the system works as it should, and it works pretty well. 
So in reality, we don't even have a democracy to attack. We have a republic, and yes, it too is under siege. In 2013, under Harry Reid's leadership, Senate Democrats, quote, nuked the filibuster for many executive and judicial appointments. At the time, this was seen as a victory. But the filibuster, too, exists for a reason. Its purpose is not only to slow down the Senate, but by respecting the rights of the minority party, uh, it helps to foster a bipartisan consensus. It's literally designed to limit the influence of radicals on either side. But then shortly after nuking the filibuster, i.e. changing the rules in the middle of the game, the Democrats began decrying Republicans for using their own tactics against them. And to be fair, the GOP did. I mean, they do the same thing. So who's really assaulting our republic? Well, it's Democrats who are floating the idea of adding justices to the Supreme Court or abolishing the Electoral College. It's Democratic states like New York that are allowing non-citizens, including illegal immigrants, to vote in local elections. Or states like California that plan to send, quote, mail-in ballots to every resident uh, in the state, regardless of whether or not they request one. If a country like Zimbabwe or Kazakhstan did this, we'd rightfully declare it a fraudulent election. Furthermore, it's the Democratic Party that's trying to add nonsensical and often illegal states to the Union. Now, in the case of Puerto Rico, statehood is something that only the people of the island can uh, decide upon, free from federal coercion. However, the, ice, the idea of D.C. statehood is patently unconstitutional, and they know it. This is why they're proposing to make residential D.C. neighborhoods a, quote, state, while leaving government offices in the independent, non-federal voting district of Columbia. Talk about gerrymandering. If this were really about the, quote, voting rights of D.C. residents, a far more reasonable compromise would be returning the residential land to Maryland or Virginia. But it clearly isn't about that. It's about political power. And the Supreme Court? If Biden grows the court to, say, 13 justices, what's going to stop Republicans from one day raising that number to 19 or 27 or, for that matter, 153? What's to stop conservative parts of, say, California or Oregon from breaking away and forming their own states in order to balance out the Senate and the Electoral College? The petitions have already been floated. This is insanity, and it is the beginning of something that will not end well for the American people. We do not want to go down this road, nor can we allow the longest surviving constitution in the world to be gutted for short-term political gains. And yet, these aren't even the greatest threats we face as a nation today. A couple weeks ago, the Department of Justice announced the establishment of a, quote, new domestic terrorism unit to counter the growing threat from white supremacists and, quote, anti-government activists. According to Reuters, the DOJ has a, quote, growing realization that domestic extremists represent a threat on par with that posed by foreign militant groups such as the Islamic State. So there you have it. In the eyes of our own government, the American people are now just as dangerous as ISIS. Assistant Attorney General of the Department's National Security Division, a man named Michael Olson, or Matthew Olson, said as much before the Senate Judiciary Committee. He testified, quote, We have seen a growing threat from those who are motivated by racial animus, as well as those who ascribe to extremist anti-government and anti-authority ideologies. This all bears repeating, because it means the U.S. government is now just as worried about its own citizens with, quote, anti-authority beliefs as they are about ISIS and al-Qaeda reforming in the gaping vacuum they left them in Afghanistan. This should make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. 
anyone with a third grade understanding of history knows that this is how great nations fall. It happened in Germany, it happened in Russia and Venezuela, and now it's poised to happen here. Where's the ACLU? The supposed champions of our most unpopular individual rights. Where's the left that spent the last five years lecturing us about fascism? Well, they're silent. In fact, they love it because they stupidly see this as a way to criminalize and outlaw their political opposition. That's how historically ignorant they are. They're so emotionally bound to this unending fight against invisible, fa invisible fascists that they actually believe the system that they're creating won't one day turn back on them. As a Lutheran pastor, a man named uh, Martin Neumoller, famously wrote of Nazi Germany, quote, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Tyrants always devour those on whose backs they ride into power. It happened in Cuba, Russia, Cambodia, North Korea, China, you name it, over and over. Read George Orwell's Animal Farm. A paranoid autocracy's bloodlust is never satisfied. So first, let's address this idea that in the year 2022, quote, white supremacists are a legitimate terror threat, at least one on par with ISIS. Now, as a white guy living in the heart of the Deep South, the city where Dr. King was murdered, a region that's supposedly still a hotbed of, quote, white supremacy, I can honestly and proudly say I don't know a single person who ascribes to such, uh, such an ideology as this. Even if you paid me $100,000, I probably couldn't find one. I know people who say racist things or make racist jokes, but I don't know anyone of any race who thinks theirs is superior or worse wants to wipe an entire people group off the map because of the amount of melanin in their skin. Chances are you don't know anyone like this either. So where is this vast network of secret clansmen plotting to assault our nation's institutions? Well, we're supposedly surrounded by them, and yet they can't be found. Why is that? Perhaps the answer is they don't exist, at least not in numbers that constitute an actual threat. You know, in my entire life, most of which has been lived in, uh, spent in Memphis, Tennessee, I've seen three laughably ineffectual Klan, quote, rallies on the local news. Once when I was a child, and I remember saying something like, Mom, why is that guy dressed, dressed like a ghost? And she did good at explaining he was a racist weirdo, and we don't like people like that. Uh... Then I saw one once again when then-candidate Barack Obama debated John McCain at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. And then once more when the city of Memphis removed a Confederate statue uh, of Nathan Bedford Forrest from a city park. And yet every time these idiots made the evening news, there were barely even a handful of them milling around, waving their Confederate flags and chanting their racist slogans. They looked and sounded so ridiculous, I find it impossible to believe that their own families take them seriously. So again... Where is this vast web of racial terrorists? Well, cue up the media spin doctors. For six years now, our leftist media and politicians have told us who they are. They're everyday Trump supporters. They're anyone who still believes that the United States has a border and that that border needs to be enforced. Deep down in the core of they, their souls, they tell us, the MAGA people are really closeted white supremacists. Joy Behar and Don Lemon have staked their entire careers on this fact. Can't you hear the dog whistles? 
So where are these racists? Well, they're everywhere. They're your neighbor who put a Trump sign in their yard last year. They're the Vietnam vet with a don't tread on me flag hanging up in their garage. They're that entire other half of the country that didn't vote for Joe Biden. Listen to this clip from uh, an MSNBC contributor, a man named Dr. Jason Johnson, uh, in a recent appearance on the network. But I think that the bigger, more dangerous thing, and I've been saying this for a while, I'm, I'm working hard to never say Republican Party again, because they're not a party, right? They're Sinn Féin to the IRA. They're, they're the PLO to Hamas. They're a dime store front for a terrorist movement. All right. Did you hear that? He called the Republican Party a dime store front for a terrorist movement. Now, to the casual observer, this is obviously bullshit. The Republican Party has been around for over 160 years. I am by no means a Republican, but they were the party that fought a war, the bloodiest in our history, to end slavery and save the Union. They stood against Jim Crow laws for decades, but none of this matters. We're in a culture war, and the end game is political domination. January 6th was a massive Klan rally, and if you don't believe that, you're probably secretly in the Klan too. You just don't know it yet. See how this works? Of course, none of this makes sense, but it's not meant to. Reason is always the first casualty of an ideological power grab. So now uh, to like the real heart of the matter here, right? The idea that our own elected officials suddenly view, quote, anti-government and anti-authority Americans uh, as a terror threat is one of the most telling and haunting revelations ever uttered by a Washington bureaucrat, because it means we're, we've clearly abandoned our history. It is an incontrovertible fact that this country was founded on a healthy strain of anti-authoritarianism. Yet by this measure, every signatory of the Declaration of Independence, every participant in the Boston Tea Party, and every soldier in Washington's colonial army should be considered a potential terrorist. You'd be correct in assuming that our own government now occupies the same role once held by King George. It's like the Who sang about. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yet this doesn't change the fact that our entire Constitution was crafted so that we, the people, held all of the power. Not a king, not the government, and certainly not a syphilitic bureaucracy. We are the sovereigns. The government is meant to work for us. They are meant to be staffed with civil servants. Thomas Jefferson once wrote, quote, When the government fears the people, there is liberty. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. I am still not sure which side of that fence we're on, but I know the side on which I want to stand. I choose the side of Jefferson, John Hancock, and Thomas Paine. So who exactly are these evil, quote, anti-authority forces uh, that we have to snuff out if the Democrats are going to finally bring us into their glorious, global, green, corporate, cradle-to-grave UBI uh, revolu revolution utopia? Well, just prior to the uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11, the Department of Homeland Security sent out a press release stating that the top two terror threats to, quote, the homeland, which is itself a Nazi phrase, think about it, were those who, quote, opposed COVID measures or made, quote, claims of election fraud or believed that, quote, Trump can be reinstated. Oh, so if you're opposed to Tony Fauci's destructive and totally unnecessary response to a virus that likely leaped from a laboratory that he funded and, by the way, only kills less than 1% of those who get it, you're basically Anwar al -Awlaki. 
what you you don't want untested experimental technology shot in your veins you don't like mask or school closures hands behind your back osama what about those who disagree with, quote, the capital S science, hallowed be its name, that the 2020 election was the freest, fairest election in world history? Shut up, racist. Our geriatric houseplant of a president got more votes than any president in history by a margin of like 10 million, and if you don't believe that, or if you find that hard to believe, you're secretly an Al-Qaeda. You see how this works? Of course, this is all happening as the Biden administration watches its approval ratings plummet to the mid-30s, signaling a political beatdown for the Democrats in the midterms. Yet according to the criminally self-unaware leader of the free world, when they do get trounced in November, it won't be because of their own dysentery-inducing policies. Oh, no, 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 no. It's because the Republicans are going to steal the election by, quote, suppressing the votes of black and brown Americans. Apparently, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden doesn't think that people of color are smart enough to get a state-issued photo ID. But here's the part that's so rich. This literally is their argument. Even though the 2020 presidential election was the freest and fairest election in America's history, if we don't allow a federal takeover of elections like right now, which is unconstitutional, the 2022 uh, midterms will be the most unfair election since the 1890s. They're, in effect, sowing the same election doubts they accused Trump of sowing, the same doubts Clinton sowed in 2016, and the same doubts both Bush, uh, Bush and Gore uh, sowed in 2000. So moving forward, what this means in perpetuity, whenever a party loses an election, it is always going to be because of fraud, not because of their own garbage policies. We may as well just embrace this because it's our new normal. In the end, this whole January 6th aftermath terror threat bullshit boils down to one message. Shut up and conform. It's like that phrase your parents used to use on you when you were a kid. Because I said so. It never mattered if that wasn't a real reason. It never was. All that matters is these are the rules and you will follow them. So what's the government really saying to us? You know, when you ask... Why do I have to take this experimental vaccine that doesn't stop transmission and supposedly only protects me? Why do I have to believe that Joe Biden is the most popular president since Teddy Roosevelt or the economy has uh, had the greatest year of all time? Why do we close the schools for a virus that largely doesn't affect children? Why must be why we have to go to war over a country like Ukraine that has no impact whatsoever on the average American? Their answer is, because I said so. Now shut up and comply. Oh, and by the way, 2 plus 2 equals 5, and if you don't agree with that, you might be a racist. One thing that I know, you gotta take.